This is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each episode, we ask a single question. Then we look to experts and listeners like you for the answers. This episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kalatni. This week's question is, why do some people wear chastity devices? Karina's out this week, so I'm flying solo. And this time, we're devoting this episode to male chastity devices, which are basically contraptions that are placed over the genitals, in this case the penis, that make getting an erection or having sex impossible. So I know some of you are probably wondering, why would anyone do this? And to be totally honest, it's not something I'd given a lot of thought to either. Even though, as I'm going to tell you in a little bit, I did have my own fairly up-close and personal experience with the chastity device a few years ago. Anyway, when we received an email from a listener talking about his own experiences with his device, I knew immediately that this was an episode I really wanted to do. We'll get to that interview with that listener in just a little bit. But first, I want to share a conversation I had with my friend Brian, who, coincidentally enough, has had his own experience with his own chastity device. Well, I had a column at Vice um, on Vice's website called Tube Steak, and it was about penises. And so I was always looking for ridiculous things to do with my penis. And I was in a sex shop one day for another story, and I saw one of these chastity devices. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a great story idea. So I decided I contacted the company that manufactures them and was like, hey, I want to write a story about these. Can I get one? And they were like, sure. Walk me through what happened. You take it out of the package. Your pants are down. How do you put it on? What's going through your head? Well, it took me a while to get it right. Like, there's a bunch of different rings and sizers and spacers, and so you have to kind of get it right on you. And then there's various and assorted things you need to consider, like pubic hair and, like, how much of a grower you might be when aroused um, and... Just the physical, the physicality of it is more than you would imagine. And just like having this heavy thing in your pants all the time and sort of it it hangs off your junk a little bit in a way that there's a very fine balance between getting it snug and having it like hang too much. And it's like pulling all your shit down. So all that's adjustable. And once you got it on, how did it feel? Did it hurt just being on? Was it heavy? It's just kind of heavy. It doesn't really hurt. It, It's just like having a lot more. It's kind of like having rocks in your shoes, let's say, where it's, you know, you're moving in the way that you're used to, but it's something different. And you're very cognizant of it. I mean, at at least in the few days I was wearing, like you feel it in your pants, like you're thinking about it all the time. Um, You know, trying to exercise or shower with it or go to the bathroom is just a total nightmare. It's like if you were holding like a one pound weight in your arm like all day, you would start to think about your arm a lot more than you would normally. I think it's sort of the same thing. And like every time you go to the bathroom, it's like a whole thing. And then it's like, is there going to be someone at the urinal next to me? Are they going to see my weird thing? And so you're making all of these adjustments for it um, that 
you don't even think about. So yeah, you're kind of thinking about it all the time, especially I'm sure once you you adjust to it, if you're wearing it for a long period of time, that's it sort of becomes second nature. But for me, I feel like I never got past the adjustment period. Speaking of adjustment periods, let's jump out of my interview with Brian for just a second, and I'll tell you guys about my own experience with a chastity device. It happened about four years ago. I was at the gym in the steam room, and there was one other man about 50 years old sitting across from me, and all of a sudden I noticed that he had undone his towel so that I was looking directly at his crotch, which is not that unusual if you're a gay man in a steam room in New York City. It happens. What was unusual is that on his penis was a cage, or what I thought was a cage, um, because I'd never seen the chastity device before. And he seemed to be looking at me kind of coyly, like he expected a reaction from me. And the only reaction he got is that I got up and left the room. And I guess I just kind of freaked out because I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing there. And it was clear to me that there was some sort of exhibitionist activity going on. But as the receiver of that, I didn't know. It was just... I guess it was too weird to me at the time. But it made me wonder about what was the motivation for him. Was it the sort of exhibitionist activity? Was it what he wanted to see from me and my reaction? I don't really know. And I think it's probably different for a lot of different people. But let's rejoin Brian to hear his thoughts about what exactly it is about a chastity device that might be so appealing to the men who wear them. It totally felt like you were getting away with something like every minute of the day. And it also had, I could see how it would be interesting for submissive types where there's also a little bit of shame involved in like, I am doing this weird thing and none of you know about it. And maybe it makes me a little bit less of a person or under someone else's control or what have you. And so I think that Having that secret that you know about that nobody else does, I think is kind of a powerful thing in a way in that you know, but they don't. I don't know. It it was fun to think about that where, yeah, you're sitting at a meeting with all these people and you're like, I am wearing a chastity device and you have no idea. Ha ha ha. Right. You're boring. (laughs) What was it like getting erect? Um, Honestly, like outside of sort of sleep erections, there was very little going on. But um, it just sort of feels like when you wear a shirt that's a size too small, where you're like in it, but you're just like, get this off of me, get this off of me. And so it kind of kills it. You know, it's like I'd wake up and I'd be really hard. And, you know, it had been a few days since I'd done anything. So, you know, I was a little quicker to get hard anyway. But then when you're walking about and stuff, it's, so fairly uncomfortable that you're not really getting spontaneous erections or anything or or you know i'd like i tried to avoid like looking at porn and whatever because i knew how uncomfortable it would be and i couldn't do anything anyway so it was like what's the point right and what is peeing like with it on um it's kind of messy honestly um and you kind of have to get it just right and because you do get erect in your sleep it's like the end of the cage is a fair distance from 
the tip, I tend to grow a lot more than most people. So there was like a fair amount of distance between like the end of my dick and the hole in it. And so like the stream gets kind of crazy and um, it like drips a lot and you got to kind of clean it out with toilet paper a little bit. And I mean, even after a few days, there was like a weird sort of fog inside of it, like in a terrarium, you know, like it was kind of, yeah, it it seemed a little bit unsanitary, but I'm sure for people who are used to doing it all the time, the people that are really into this is probably a small percentage of the population. And so for the people who are listening to this and thinking, oh, my God, that sounds awful. You just have to put yourself in those people's maybe not shoes, cock cages, if you will. And, um, you know, have some sort of empathy for you know, what it is they're going through and not be all like, ew, that's gross or that's stupid or whatever. You know, for some people, that's what they're really into. Yeah, it's a magical rainbow of sexual orientations and proclivities and all that thing. Right. And I hate to be a sexual fraud. You know, I don't want to be like, oh, this is awful. No one should do it. Because obviously, if you're into it, of course you should do it. But it just wasn't my bag. And so I learned I've learned to in my own personal life, very quickly be like, I'm into this, I'm not into this, and take it from there. I sort of want to write another article, I should probably do this, about the company that makes them. It's like a family-owned business in the Midwest somewhere. And so there's this little office in some small Midwestern town that specializes in, like, plastic chastity devices, you know, and it keeps several people fed and clothed and in good health. And, I mean, that in itself is fascinating. I have not worn it since. I actually gave it away to a friend of mine who um, read the story and was like, I want to try this. And so I was like, here you go. And I know he wore it and enjoyed it more than I did. So it found a nice home upstate with a big yard where it can play. I don't really think it's that surprising that wearing a chastity device seemed really bizarre to Brian. But it's like so many things when it comes to sex or really anything in life. Once you try something, you often realize it's not nearly as weird as you thought it was, even if you ultimately decide it's not something you really want to do or it's not something that's going to get you off. What I did find surprising is that Brian is one of only a few people who have actually written about chastity devices. Maybe you've seen depictions of them in medieval paintings or S&M scenes, but there's actually not a lot of information out there about them at all, even in online forums. That's what inspired Jack which is not his real name, by the way. That's just what we're going to call him for this podcast, to email us. I always thought if the rare chance I saw it, I'd buy it. And then one day I saw the sex store and I walked in uh, and they had it. And I was, I was shocked. Describe how it felt the first time you wore it. And then tell me, does it feel different now that you've done this for a while? The first time I put it on, it was definitely a rush. Uh, like I said, I'm, I don't know why I'm built this way, but I'm definitely a huge masochist. So it was definitely uh, something fun that I got to do that I never thought I was going to get to do. Um, first time I felt, yeah, I guess a rush, like a sexual rush was, is the best way. When you wore it the first time, were you just wearing it for yourself or was it part of um, a relationship? It was not part of a relationship. It was just for myself. And that's what most people are. A lot of people who are into this really struggle to find someone who like this aspect too. Um, And so most 
people are their own key holder. Um, and key holder is a term meaning, and even in chat rooms, you'll see it as KH. So if like you're a submissive or something in a dominant submissive role, your dominant would be the key holder. But most people, they just wear it and they, you know, will wear it for as long as they want to. And it's just part of teasing themselves and sort of building up. Do you know what I mean? Like with each passing day, it just, you get more and more aroused. Right. And you're sort of part of denying yourself being able to pleasure yourself is, is what adds to that. Yeah. And I've talked to people and if you really want to get like analytical with it, there seems to be sort of different drives. Some people I've talked to, they are not even that kinky. They're not not really into the whole dominant submissive thing. They really just want um, a loss of power with that aspect of their body and their lives. Um, some people do it, like I said, because of the power exchange. Um, other people do it because they like being teased. Mm-hmm. And they may wear it during a session. Um, but some, uh, I can just speak for me personally. It's about masochistic, knowing that I'm suffering while other people are able to and I cannot. How long, how long do you normally wear the device at one, in one time? So that's a good question. I'm going to just um, answer that broadly at first because that's, there's a lot that goes into that. First of all, you're going to see it through your clothes a little bit. If you're wearing baggy clothes, then like sweatpants or something, or maybe like loose jeans, you won't see it. But if you're wearing maybe like nicer slacks, then it'll probably be noticed. So I, because of my job, I can't wear it all the time or as much as I would want to. What about um, wearing it out in public? You said a little bit like you couldn't wear it to work because people would see it. But is is people seeing it also part of the turn on? Like, is it just a private thing? Yeah, I mean, if I'm like in the privacy of my own home, and I have a sex partner, you know, I I want the attention to be drawn to it. But if you're out and about, I mean, I think some people say it's kind of um, exciting to know it's under your clothes and no one knows this, but no one. That that's never really a component for anyone. No one's like, I hope no one notices. But for them, they do wear it under their clothes and they wear it throughout their day because this is a weird kink in that it you can make it long term, like a chronic fetish, I guess if that makes sense. You know, most people who like to be tied up or spanked, um, that's more like in the moment when you're with your partner. But this thing can be every like twenty four seven if you want to, like just going to the grocery store or like going to the bank. It's not that you hope people know; it's that you can leave the bedroom, you can leave your partner. It's still there. It's still going on. It's you know. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like along those lines, do you consider the chastity, the chastity device, a fetish or a lifestyle or a mix of both? How do you think about it? It's what you choose. For me, it's a fetish. If I lived in a perfect world, well, for me, it can't be a lifestyle because, um, like, my work is, I'm an engineer, so a lot of uh, science, a lot of math. And the reason that's important, when you haven't orgasmed in, like, 
by day five, that's all you can think about sex. And I know for me, I can't concentrate. And so because of my job, I can't go like a month in chastity because I couldn't focus on anything. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't, you know, run a meeting. I just would be constantly thinking about it. I mean, three or four days, sure. So you read online about people who say they're in a lifestyle where they wear it all the time and it's up to their um, dominant partner to decide when and if they get out. Um, so for, for right now, for me, it's a fetish. Jack told me that he personally doesn't like to orgasm with his sexual partners, nor does he have a key holder. For him, it's been practically impossible to find someone to share his fetish with. You know, I, I, I'm not really pro-long-term relationships, um, but I do know that it is very difficult. It would be difficult to find someone who is into chastity. And that's commonly like a complaint online is men, both heterosexual and gay, saying, I can't find anyone who wants to keep me locked up for a really long time. It's common to find people who want to be locked up, but there's that struggle to find someone who wants to be a key holder and tease them and determine when and if they get unlocked. Right. Um, so I guess if I ever was in a long-term relationship, I would want them to like have that kinky compliment. I don't have any long-term relationship stories for you, but I know that's a common one is seeking a partner who would be interested in holding the key. Jack told me there's no plastic tab to pull if you give your key away and you can't escape. So there are obvious risks to handing your key over to someone else. But up next, we're going to speak with someone who did just that. And actually, I found it to be an incredibly romantic and honestly very moving story. Thanks for listening to Love and Sex. We appreciate you all so much, but we aren't always sure how you feel about us. If you could let us know by finding Love and Sex on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and then giving us a rating or review, that will help us gauge how we're doing. Of course, you can also email us if you have a suggestion or an idea for a story. We're at loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. Now we're going to hear from Lion and Lioness, a couple who chose those pseudonyms to use on their blog, which is called MaleChastityJournal.com. That's where they document their adventures with their own chastity device. I had the chance to speak with them over Skype. Uh, we met online. Um, he's the one my mother warned me about and going online. That's what I always say. Pretty much I was just looking for fun met him and realized that he was pretty much the one. And I think it was a few meetings after that that he came up with the whole 
I like to be spanked idea, which was completely foreign to me. But at that point, I, I guess I was still sowing my wild oats. So I said, what the heck, we'll give it a shot and started up. And my first few attempts at spanking were very pathetic and probably just felt like air on his butt. But <laughs> we progressed from there. And so then how did you guys introduce the, the chastity device into your relationship? How far along was that? And, you know, had either of you had any experience with that before you guys tried it together? Just start to talk to about that with me. I'll start. <clears throat> I was um, a top for many years. Uh, in fact, um, about the time I met Lioness, I had been just ending a relationship with a woman who was 24-7 submissive to me. But for the last almost, I'd say, 15 years um, ago, I happened to be browsing around the internet. The web was very new. Uh, it was even wilder than today. And I found a site that talked about male chastity um, devices. And I thought they were really cool. I don't know. I never really wanted my sex life controlled, but it was uh, kind of exciting to think about that form of bondage. I guess I'm, I've always been a switch and that idea interested me. And I got, I decided to write about it. So I found a website that wanted to publish my reviews, I contacted some of the makers, there weren't very many then, and devices were nothing like they are today. And they sent me samples, I was fitted actually for a chastity belt by Access Denied, and I tested them, most were horribly uncomfortable. Um, they were impractical in every respect. But it still was kind of a hot idea. And I had no real, in you know, and I dropped it. And then after I met Lioness, I guess it <laughs> was only two years ago, um, we had been together for well over a decade, and um, I happened to run across um, some listings on Amazon, which has lots of dirty stuff, in case you didn't know, and um, they were showing all these very inexpensive devices, and they looked reasonably practical. So for 35 40 bucks each, I ordered a couple, and I didn't tell her about them. I just quietly tested them, just put them on to see how they fit, and they weren't bad, and it was kind of exciting, so... Just out of a pure sense of experimentation, I asked her if she'd like to try it. I should add that up until that point, you know, we started playing early on in our relationship, but we stopped uh, pretty much not, not long after we were married. And we were very vanilla, and we drifted apart sexually. And I thought this might be a way to spark things up. So I said, how would you like to do this? And you can tell her, Lioness. Tell them, Lioness. Yeah, I'd figured it was just something that, you know, he every once in a while he'd buy a new paddle and say, let's use this. Or he'd buy something else and say, let's try this. And so I figured it was just another thing that we'd try and it would go away after a while. But for some reason, it, it didn't. I, I'm i not quite sure why. Um, it just sparked something, I guess. And, and we kept going. Would you guys say that it sparked something in both of you? Or would you say one of you is more interested than the other? Or, or have you sort of, you know, you each have your role and you're really uh, invested in it now? I think I think it, it sparked something in both of us. But I think Lion more than me, um, just because he's always been more into that aspect of, well, sex period but you know this particular aspect of it but i think we're both fully invested in it right now 
I was just going to say that <clears throat> shortly after we began, I decided I'd like to keep a journal because it seemed to me that I was very good at forgetting the origins of things and then getting, you know, have an accurate picture of what happened. So I decided to start a journal and made it a blog, um, the Mail, Mail Chastity Journal. And we, and I wrote in it every day. And shortly after I started it, um, Linus agreed to also write in it every day. And it provided, I think, for both of us, a strong motivation to tell each other what's going on and also to continue because it's, you know, I mean, it, it sounds exciting and fun, and it is in its own way, but the truth is, most of the time, there's nothing going on except my genitals are locked up. You know, it's not exactly <laughs> wild, crazy play. It's mostly just inconvenience and the inability to have any kind of sexual expression without Lioness unlocking me. And so without the writing, I think, in the beginning and the feedback we were giving each other, I think we would have probably stopped what we learned, at least what I learned, was that by getting this feedback from her, uh, sex became uh, a foreground topic to us in our marriage. And we we started finding ways to express ourselves sexually. That's pretty good when you're yeah. locked up, too. <laughs> See, I, I love that, too, because I think that people think of this as like, I mean, let's just say right off the bat, most people don't know about this. And when they hear about it, they think it's crazy or it's some, you know, kind of kink. But I love the idea that it actually can create a really healthy or healthier sex life for two people. It does. Um, the interest, the reason it does, of course, at least in my mind, and this could be completely different in Lioness's mind. But in mine, I was apparent to me that if I, if I were going to enjoy any sex at all, I would have to have her involved. I mean, I couldn't just go off and masturbate. I couldn't just look at porn or something and get aroused. Um, I can't get aroused in this thing. So it mean, that meant that I was sexually dependent on her. And uh, I, I imagined, and I guess you can confirm it or deny it, that be she knew that I was sexually dependent as well. And that gave her a, a motive to work hard to provide me with some satisfaction when she thinks I ought to get it, as opposed to just ignoring sex and let me deal with myself. How how long have you been wearing the belt or the device and how long do you wear it for? Do you ever take it off? Okay, I wear it all the time. Been wearing it for two years and two months now. Um, it comes off only when Lioness takes it off um, for either a medical purpose because I'm going to the doctor and it would be a little inconvenient to um, show it to him or if I have to travel through, take a plane and it's not going to make it through airport security. Or she wants to have sex with me of some sort. Otherwise, it goes right back on and it stays there. So it's maybe been off, goes off a little bit during vacation because we have uh, an RV. And RV toilets are inconvenient for men in general and even more inconvenient with a device that's weighing you down. But generally, they, it's on. It's been on 97 or 98% of the time since the beginning of 2014. And so then let's talk about... Um lioness how you decide when it does come off or what what is it what is your how does this play into your sexual relationship well it comes off when um when i decide to edge him or when i want to when i want him to get clean or uh like he said when he has to go to the doctor um but basically i been teasing him lately that i get that little sideways glance that sort of if there was a whimper involved would you know you can imagine what that 
would be like. And, and, and I know that he's looking to be coming out. Um, but generally I'll unlock him and I'll edge him or spank him or whatever I'm going to do with him. And then I usually put him right back in. Um, sometimes I leave him out a little bit longer, but he's expressed the desire to go right back in quicker. So, uh, you know, it depends on how devilish I'm feeling, whether I'll, you know, take him out immediately, do my thing and put him right back in and, you know. Yeah. And it seems to me like this device is actually, I mean, yes, it, it, fulfills a a function a physical function it keeps you from getting aroused but it seems more like it's a way to um enact your bdsm relationship yeah it's almost like a symbol of that and it allows it allows that relationship to occur it does seem that way and for a while i thought that way too but i think it's a little more profound than that because there are people that do this that don't do any bdsm at all um, they simply use the device. Some people never get out of it. Other people get, you know, they're, they get unlocked and they have sex with their wives and they get locked up again. But in our case, I think of it more like our wedding ring. It's, um, it's a symbol of commitment. It's not so much a sex preventative because the truth is I'm not going to do anything whether I'm unlocked or locked at this point. Um, there's no way I would masturbate and there's no way I would go with anyone else. So it's it's a symbol of Number one, uh, commitment to her, and um, it's it's also her commitment to me because I've transferred to her any opportunity I may have for sexual um, satisfaction. I mean, without her, I'm, I don't get it. So she's got kind of a responsibility to take care of me in that respect. And of course, there is the, the obvious um, control issue, the power exchange, because I've given her a lot of power and more power as time went on. But I, I don't know if you see us as a BDSM couple. I really don't. I think we're we're not vanilla by any means, but we're also I've been into the scene for a long time and we're not like that. Um we're 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 our own flavor, I guess not vanilla but maybe chocolate chip. <laughs> Do you guys foresee this ha- continuing into the, you know, into infinity? It's just a part of your relationship now? Well, we had a an agreement to revisit it. I think it was this month and Long before that, we decided we were just going to continue. Um, <clears throat> you know, I guess we put that time limit on to see how it was going. And then before that date, we decided it's going great. Why Why mess with success? And we made a commitment. Uh, the reason for that was that this is not always fun, at least for me. And... Um, there, there are lots of opportunities to say this is just something I want to stop. And we decided we had to give it a fair chance. So we did give ourselves almost two years to a little over two years to try it out, so to speak. But we really found out it works for us. Uh, we're much more intimate. We're closer physically. Um, it has almost nothing to do with the BDSM, which is something I just enjoy. It has everything to do with the fact that our communications have improved dramatically We've managed to work through sexual issues that I think would break up other couples. And we're, and it, it's, it's not a bad thing. I mean, it's just another wedding ring, I guess, in a way. I mean, sitting here listening to you guys talk about it, it, it's, it sounds really, it does sound very profound and it does sound very beautiful to me. And I, I, I really respect that. Have you guys found um, 
a community that you're a part of, either in real life or online, of other people who are also uh, using devices? Not so much. There are a few that we are aware of. You know, we have other bloggers that we know are actually doing this as opposed to expressing fantasies, but there aren't many. And we don't seem to... I want a community, but I haven't found others that really want a community. Everybody who's doing this seems to be deeply involved in their own thing. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, I think what it means is that that nobody wants to make enforced chastity the center of their lives. It seems like this is something people do for their own reasons, uh, alongside of all the other things they do. You know, they could they could have their other hobby, hobbies, they have their professions, they have their friends, but they, you know, they do enforced chastity. But they, it's not like BDSM, which does have a community. I've been a member of that community forever. Um, there people do get together. It's a place to meet other people. It's a place to form relationships. It's a place to learn. But that's not so true with enforced chastity. People that do this don't seem to make this a center of their lives, though I suspect that some of them have the same benefits we're getting. They just don't choose to emphasize them the way we do. Mm-hmm. What would you guys say to someone, and I'm sure that there are people listening who are going to listen to this podcast who say, this is totally crazy, or this is unhealthy, or, you know, this is just, why would anyone ever do this? How would you respond to someone? Well, I, I guess, I don't know, sometimes it, it does seem totally crazy. Um, I, I don't know how to respond to people who say things are unhealthy because... You know, we can be watching something on TV and something pops up that somebody did something and Lion will say, well, that's really weird. And I said, you know, you shouldn't talk about weird things people do because, you know, you're you're doing something weird, too. So um, I I think you just, you know, if you keep an open mind and that's true of most things, um, you know, you can say anything is unhealthy or weird and um, just Keep an open mind, you know, try it. You might like it. But my, I don't know. I, I take a slightly different view of it. It's just, it does, it seems crazy if you just hear about it. So I absolutely understand why people would feel that way. Um, but it's not about enforced chastity as a sexual thing as much as it is a power exchange. And what that means is that it's the trust to give your partner control of something that's very important to you. And I trust me, sex is very important to me. And it's so that it's an expression of trust. And on, on Lioness's side, it's the acceptance of this power and the willingness to make me a happy person um, and use the power in a way that's constructive to both of us. You know, it's funny. Last week, we got an email from a listener who was kind of upset with Karina and me. Because he said that we talk about our own experiences too much on this podcast. He thought that somehow by saying what we personally like or don't like, or what we've done or haven't done, somehow was us passing a moral judgment on our listeners or on the people we talk to. But I don't really think that's true. And I think this particular episode is a really good example of something that I personally don't think I will ever be incorporating into my own sex life, but that I still support 100%. Because if someone else is doing it and it fulfills some need in them, that's awesome. What's more, just because I personally don't want to lock up my dick, that doesn't mean I haven't learned something from these people. On the contrary, 
I was actually really moved by Lion and Lioness and how they see their chastity device as a symbol of their commitment to each other. I think that's really beautiful. And I hope that if and when I'm ever in another relationship, I can be just as open and honest about what I want or don't want as Lion and Lioness. If a chastity device serves as a way to open lines of communication and it makes their relationship the healthiest and happiest it can be, obviously along with satisfying whatever sexual and BDSM needs they have, I'm all about that. And I'm all about sharing these stories that we all can hopefully learn something new and maybe we can feel a little bit less weird about who we are and what we like. That's it for this week's episode of Love and Sex. Thanks to my guests, Brian, Jack, Lioness, and Lion. And thanks to my producer, Caitlin Baguki, and editor, Nick Offenberg. When you get a chance, please subscribe to Love and Sex on iTunes. And reach out if you have a story idea for us. Our email is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. We'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. Talk to you then. Thank you.